Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Three European leaders taking a chance visiting Ukraine's capital to show their support as the fourth round of peace talks continue. A U.S. company has stopped offering its services to a Chinese drone company. It's over the drone maker being named in sanctions the U.S. has issued. But beyond this, is the drone company favoring Russia over Ukraine? President Biden sees his Supreme Court pick progress, but his pick for top regulator at the Federal Reserve seems to be losing support. The European Union has approved a third round of sanctions against Russia. This time, the targeted areas will be energy, steel, and defense sectors. The European Commission said in a statement that the sanctions include a far-reaching ban on new investments across the Russian energy sector. There's also a ban on Russian steel imports, which will likely affect more than $3 billion worth of products. And EU companies won't be able to export to Russia any luxury goods worth more than $330 or cars worth more than $55,000. There will also be a total ban on transactions with companies linked to the Kremlin's military-industrial complex. The new sanctions also bar EU credit rating agencies from rating Russian companies. On top of these, the new rule will freeze the assets of more business leaders who support Russia. The bloc has also agreed to strip Russia of its most favored nation status. This would also open the door to punitive tariffs or an outright ban on imports of Russian goods. A lot going on in Ukraine today. Three European leaders are visiting the capital despite stepped-up attacks from Russia. And peace talks continue for a second day. NTD's Jessica Beatty has the details. Russia's stepping up its attack on Ukraine's capital, with a series of strikes hitting a residential neighborhood Tuesday morning. Despite that, three European Union leaders are planning to visit the leaders of Poland, the Czech Republic, and Slovenia boarded a train for Kyiv Tuesday on an EU mission to show support for Ukraine. They're the first foreign leaders to visit since Russia invaded. With the stepped-up attacks, Kyiv's going under a 35-hour curfew starting Tuesday night. It'll last until Thursday morning. Meanwhile, Russia and Ukraine are continuing negotiations Tuesday. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said he also spoke with Israel's prime minister as part of the effort to end the war with, quote, a fair peace. Our delegation also worked on this in negotiations with the Russian party. Pretty good, as I was told. But let's see. Moscow said it's too early to make predictions about the outcome. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said, quote, the work is difficult and in the current situation, the very fact that they're continuing is probably positive. Ukraine's president predicted Monday that Ukraine would ultimately win. He had this message for Russian soldiers. On behalf of the Ukrainian people, I give you a chance, a chance to survive. If you surrender to our forces, we will treat you the way people are supposed to be treated, as people, decently. Meanwhile, Russia says it's taken full control of all territory in Ukraine's Kherson region. NTD couldn't independently verify if that's true. And Russia accused Ukraine of a missile strike on the city of Donetsk Monday. Russia said 20 people were killed. Ukraine denied launching such an attack. NTD couldn't independently verify either side. Ukraine's denied suggestions it would try to recapture the eastern cities of Donetsk and Luhansk, under the control of Russian-backed forces since 2014. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. The West has attempted to isolate Moscow through sanctions, but now India says it may agree to buy Russian oil at a discount. I wanted to learn more about how this will impact Americans, so I spoke with oil and gas expert Joel Burkhat. He says this will indirectly cause higher gas prices in the U.S. He says that's because there will be less Russian oil for Europe, which is buying more oil from the U.S. And when there is less supply, prices typically go up. Here Burkhat explains how else the war in Ukraine will affect the U.S. economy. Certainly the effect of the uh, war in Ukraine is is devastating on a number of different things. It is having an impact on the economy of the United States, and it's having an impact because it's driving up energy prices. So as uh, just the other day, or maybe it was yesterday, I saw that uh, a, a gas pipeline in Ukraine had been impacted uh, by shelling 
of the Russians. And every time that uh, every time we see less uh, gas or oil flowing to Europe, that has an impact on energy prices in the United States. Well, speaking of energy prices, oil prices have dropped as the market volatility has eased up a bit. Do you think this is a result of hope that the Ukraine conflict could come to an end based on the fourth round of peace talks? Well, it may be that. Uh, it's also a matter of, uh, of uh, just the, the market itself. So there, there's the possibility that the people who trade in oil and gas are sensing that perhaps the war will be coming to a conclusion sooner. It could also have something to do with uh, less uh, uh, demand in the United States, so that as we as we get into the summer months, as we get away from the colder months, uh, we see less of a reliance on uh, natural gas anyway, uh, perhaps more of a reliance on oil and, and gasoline as we move forward. But it certainly could have an effect on that. I wouldn't look at any daily price changes as meaning much of anything, because I think the market is going to is going to fluctuate considerably over the coming days and weeks. Europe has said it will end its reliance on Russian oil and gas by 2027. The war in Ukraine is affecting relations between a U.S. software company and a Chinese drone maker. Figma is a fast-growing U.S.-based company that provides vector graphics editing software. The company recently closed off access to its services for the world's number one drone maker. That is Chinese company DJI. Here's what the provider wrote to the DJI. We have learned that DJI is named in U.S. sanctions. As a result, and in compliance with U.S. laws, Figma can no longer provide you with access to our software. That's according to China Fund, a Chinese state-run media company. The move comes as DJI drones are being used in the Russia-Ukraine war. Those details come from the co-founder of connectivity company Blink IoT Platform. The Chinese company is said to have given Russian invaders the advantage. Here's why. The drone company offers the capability to track the location of other drones and the people who operate them. It's called the aeroscope function. But the Chinese company apparently turned that function off for Ukrainians, but left it on for Russians. Again, this is all according to Blink's co-founder. He says the Russians were able to kill Ukrainian drone operators, but Ukrainians couldn't track their Russian counterparts. But are these claims true? DJI's U.S. communication director offered an explanation for the loss of the aeroscope function. They said the malfunction may be connected to prolonged loss of power or Internet. But there's more. On Sunday, reports started surfacing about Russia asking the Chinese regime for military aid. And that includes drones. So it's made the situation more sensitive, but Beijing has denied the allegations. Additionally, there are reports that suggest anti-American or non-state actors have used the Chinese drone company services. Those include ISIS and even a ploy to kill Venezuela's president. Neither Figna nor DJI could be reached for comment. At an auto mechanics workshop in Kyiv, Ukraine has shifted from car repairs and maintenance to adapting captured Russian weapons and handing them over to Ukrainian troops defending Kyiv. The efforts come as the Russian assault on the capital continues. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports. Alexander Fedchenko had been brainstorming with his staff at his Kyiv repair shop after Russia launched its invasion of Ukraine last month. They wondered how they could help outgun local forces. In the evening of February 24th, I had a meeting with my staff, and we brainstormed on how we could help the army, what we could do for them. It turned out that there were people working in our shop who knew how weapons work. For instance, Alexander, who works with us, said that there are drafts on how to remake automatic weapons removed from APC into handheld weapons. Ukrainian forces have stripped large quantities of Russian heavy machine guns and other weapons from the scores of armored vehicles they have destroyed. That's just in the three weeks since the start of the Russian invasion. An enemy's APC was taken out. There was a lot of ammunition inside, including this machine gun. An idea struck me that it could be used in the fortified areas. I wanted to use this weapon and defend our territories with it. But removing their mountings and adapting them for foot soldiers requires the expertise of specialist mechanics. 
We made a prototype model and it worked. Now we are ready to manufacture and really take as many weapons as possible. We told boys at the front line about it. They removed weapons from enemy armed personnel carriers and then we'll bring them back here. We will remake these weapons so that the barrels will be directed to the enemy side, but not ours. And the weapons are effective against Russian military vehicles. Weapons are extremely needed in any fortified areas or checkpoint. Using this weapon, I can easily shoot light armored vehicles like mechanized infantry fighting vehicles, APCs, trick Russian military vehicles. Ukrainian forces have been forced to adapt quickly and have managed to slow the advance of Russian troops on the capital, Kyiv, despite being outgunned and outnumbered. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. The U.S. said on Saturday it will send up to $200 million in weapons to Ukraine so the country can defend itself against the Russian attack. That includes anti-tank and anti-aircraft weapons. For more perspective, we hear from a former Air Force veteran and Republican candidate for Congress from New Jersey. This is a situation where Biden has the opportunity to really show his diplomatic ability and uh, bring all parties to the table and come up with a solution that actually makes sense. I mean, to be fair, in the early 90s, the United States had an agreement where they weren't going to move uh, east eastward towards uh, Russia and keep NATO out. I mean, keep Ukraine out of NATO. But now it seems that since there's a push for that all over again, I believe that's one of the reasons why Russia is uh, getting involved. Now, that's not to say that Russia's correct in anything that they're doing, because the only people that are suffering from this are the civilians on both sides, on the, on the Russian side and the Ukrainian side. Resorting to weapons and resorting to war, especially at a time when our country is facing one of the biggest energy crises I've ever seen, is not an advisable step. What more do you think the U.S. should do to help the Ukrainian people? I think continue doing what they're doing now. Um, continue to send them uh, foreign aid, continue to send them resources. But the fact that uh, I've even seen in New York that they're trying to send legal guns over to Ukraine so that they can defend themselves, I find it hypocritical how they're protecting their Second Amendment rights in Ukraine, but they're not protecting them here in the United States. Now, to be fair, we're not under the same threat as Ukraine, but this is a perfect uh, the testament as to why the Second Amendment exists in the first place. The second your country needs to be defended or your government starts going into different direction, the people have the right to defend themselves and protect themselves. The Biden administration has sent $1.2 billion in weapons to Ukraine in the past year, according to officials. The White House says the West is united and resolved and that it will support Ukraine and hold Russia accountable. Despite the intensity of the Russian invasion, the trains have continued to run in much of the country, carrying supplies and refugees and increasing the odds for Ukraine's survival. Meet the people who help run that most vital system for the country's continued independence. First light in Ternopil, Ukraine is the rising sun. The city's lights have been kept off since the war began. More than two weeks that have exhausted, overwhelmed and completely upended normal life. But through it all, Ukraine's rail network has kept running. Every morning, the railway's executives, led by 37-year-old Alexander Kamoyshin, gather for a morning call. No cell phones, no Zoom, just a Soviet-era closed-circuit phone system that connects every station. They won't stay here long. They can't. They believe they're a prime Russian target. The strategy is to move fast so that they don't catch you. How long can you stay in one place? Hours. Instead, their work managing 231,000 employees continues on a single car train headed west, for now. Often their work is aboard ordinary passenger trains to blend in with the masses. Since the war began, they've been in near constant motion, crisscrossing the country to keep the Russians guessing. The decision to leave their headquarters in Kyiv was made in the early morning hours of February 24th. Kamoyshin snapped one last picture with his two young kids, one still asleep. The country's rail network, one of the largest in the world, has been a lifeline in war, moving desperately needed supplies in and desperate people out of danger, more than two million since the invasion began. Schedules are drawn up the night before and changed in response to panic scenes like this one in Kharkiv or in Lviv in the early days of war. 
Surprising because every day the network is hit by Russian bombs. Small damage breaks the link between cities temporarily, a downed bridge indefinitely. Near Kharkiv, an undetonated bomb fell right next to the tracks. We are reacting and repairing a railway even under artillery shelling every day. Unfortunately, some of my colleagues have been killed and injured during shelling. 33 killed, 24 injured and counting. The Russians have taken control of rail links in cities like besieged Mariupol, Sumy, Kherson and Cherniv. But for now, all of the major hubs are still connected by Ukrainian rail. Russia's assault in Ukraine has triggered a major boost in demand for potassium iodide pills. Officials say that's because some people are concerned about potential radioactive fallout. It could come from intentional attacks or accidents involving nuclear weapons. The CDC says if there is such an event, large amounts of radioactive iodine would get released into the atmosphere, which could contaminate air, water, plants, and animals. Although the agency says potassium iodide poses no health risk by itself, radioactive iodide can cause problems for the thyroid, which produces hormones that help regulate the body. Potassium iodine medications can help shield the thyroid gland, preventing it from absorbing dangerous radioactive iodine. One of President Joe Biden's high-profile nominees appears to be gaining support while a second one flounders. His historic Supreme Court pick is set to meet with more senators today. Her confirmation hearings will take place next week, but it looks like a nominee for the Federal Reserve won't make it that far. Here's a look at what's happening with both women. President Joe Biden is having a mixed week when it comes to his nominees. Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson continues to meet with senators from both parties. A simple majority in their chamber would make her the first black woman on the U.S. Supreme Court. I think one of the most impressive candidates I've ever interviewed and talked to um, that's going to be um, hopefully moving on to the Supreme Court here soon. While Jackson appears to be gaining ground, Sarah Bloom Raskin Uh, appears to be losing it. Biden wants her to be the Federal Reserve's top banking regulator. But she previously called for the Fed to crack down on bank lending to fossil fuel companies. She's backtracked since then, but some Republicans are concerned. She has spent two years campaigning for the idea that the Fed should be in the business of allocating capital away from carbon-intensive sources of energy. We see what's happening in our own gas prices. Can you imagine having someone at the Fed who thinks we have to make this much worse? Now Democratic Senator Joe Manchin says he opposes Raskin's nomination. He has financial ties to the coal industry and says he's also worried about her energy ideas. The Biden administration says it's not giving up yet. And so where we are now is our focus is on continuing to work with Chairman, uh, Chairman Brown to garner bipartisan support. The White House probably won't get those bipartisan votes since two moderate Republican senators say they also oppose Raskin. Wisconsin Republicans are asking the U.S. Supreme Court to reject an electoral map drawn by the state's Democratic governor. They say his map is racially skewed and favor one drafted by Republican lawmakers. Earlier this month, the Supreme Court of Wisconsin voted to adopt congressional and legislative districts drawn by Governor Tony Evers over those proposed by the legislature. The maps adopted still reportedly favor Republicans, but by smaller margins than the Republican drafted maps. According to an analysis by the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, six state assembly districts currently have a black majority, but the maps provided by the governor would raise that to seven. Republicans stated in the emergency application filed with the U.S. Supreme Court that Evers's maps make Wisconsin home to the 21st century racial gerrymander. In his reply to the application, Evers said the electoral maps he helped create should be left alone. The Supreme Court could act on the application at any time. A man believed to be responsible for numerous shootings in Washington, D.C. and New York City is now in custody. According to a tweet from D.C. police, the suspect was arrested Tuesday morning in the nation's capital. The suspect has been linked to at least five shootings against homeless people. At least one of the victims died. The FBI is involved in the investigation. So far, there's no word about a possible motive. 
Police in the New York suburb of Yonkers said they had arrested and charged a man for assaulting a 67-year-old Asian woman in an attack captured on surveillance video. Warning, this video contains material that some viewers may find disturbing due to the graphic nature. Video provided by the Yonkers Police Department shows the suspect, 42-year-old Tamil Esco. He's seen punching the elderly woman before hitting her repeatedly as she lay on the floor. Authorities say Esco allegedly referred to her using a racial slur before punching her more than 125 times. He is charged with one count of attempted murder as a hate crime and one count of assault as a hate crime. The woman suffered multiple contusions, bleeding on the brain and facial bone fractures. Police say she is listed as stable and recovering at a hospital. Officials in San Diego released body cam footage of an officer-involved shooting from earlier this month. A woman was killed after charging at officers with a knife. Viewer discretion is advised for the following graphic footage. Authorities in San Diego released body cam footage on March 11th from multiple officers of a shooting in Little Italy. A woman stabbed one officer in the chest and police then fired upon her during a March 3rd altercation. The law enforcement personnel were in the process of evicting at 47-year-old Yan Lee from her condominium. The altercation began as a sheriff's deputy attempted to serve Lee her eviction paperwork. What is it? Are you Yan Lee? Uh, yes. Okay, here's a notice to evict. She opened the door holding what appeared to be a meat cleaver. The deputy ordered her to drop the knife, but Lee began screaming at him, accusing him of impersonating law enforcement. Put your knife down. Put the knife down. Put the knife down right now. Put the knife down right now. How do I know I'm not an intruder? The two began shouting at each other, then Lee threw the documents into the hallway and slammed the door. While waiting, officers encountered a maintenance worker who said Lee threatened him with a knife the previous day. Deputies attempted to communicate for about 45 minutes, but Lee would not comply. The team entered her residence and found Lee peering out from a backroom door. More arguing followed until one officer fired beanbags at her. Lee then charged the officers, leading to the shooting. She died on scene after being struck with gunfire. Three San Diego County Sheriff's deputies and one San Diego police officer fired on her. The SDPD canine unit officer who was stabbed was released later that day from the hospital. He was not identified. SDPD homicide are investigating the events surrounding Lee's death. The four officers involved in the shooting have all been temporarily placed on desk duty. The governor of Ohio signed a constitutional carry bill into law. Anyone 21 and older who can legally own a weapon can now carry a concealed gun without a permit or training. State law previously required eight hours of training, background checks, and applications through the local sheriff to obtain a permit. Gun control and law enforcement groups opposed the bill, as did law enforcement groups concerned about the bill's lack of required training. The Ohio Democratic Party accused the governor of caving to special interest groups and extremists. 21 other states also allow people to carry a concealed weapon without a license. A bill in Idaho banning abortion after about six weeks is headed to the governor's desk. The bill's unique enforcement mechanism is modeled off of Texas's abortion ban law. The Idaho House of Representatives passed the bill on Monday. All 12 state House Democrats voted against the measure. The bill updates Ohio's current abortion ban. The latest one bans abortions after a fetal heartbeat is detected. But the bill won't go into effect until a federal appeals court upholds another heartbeat law. The latest bill would add to a 2021 law by allowing certain family members to sue the abortion provider. It's modeled after the Texas Heartbeat Act. The president and CEO of the Planned Parenthood Action Fund said in a statement, if this ban goes into effect, it will harm pregnant people and disproportionately impact already marginalized communities. If you want to visit the U.S. Capitol building, you may be able to again soon. After being closed to the public for more than two years, a plan to reopen is under review. Monday, staff from a variety of sectors, including the Capitol Police, discussed a drafted proposal. It would have the Capitol reopening in phases starting March 28th. 
the limit for business visitors would jump from 9 to 15 people. And from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on weekdays, two tours per hour could be given to students with a cap at 50. In Phase 2, there would be a limited reopening of the Capitol Visitor Center effective May 30th. Phase 3 would be a full reopening. The highly tentative date for this last phase would be Labor Day. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention added just one new destination to its highest risk category for travel on Monday. That's the Indian Ocean Island nation of Mauritius. The weekly travel risk level update brought good news for islands in and around the Caribbean Sea. There are nine destinations, including the Bahamas, Jamaica, and the Dominican Republic, that dropped down one rung from level four. The CDC places a destination at level four COVID-19 very high risk when more than 500 cases per 100,000 residents are registered in the past 28 days. Mauritius is located off the eastern coast of Africa. It recently logged a 180% increase in weekly cases. That's according to World Health Organization figures. The country is located about 700 miles east of Madagascar and had previously been on level three. Costco is getting ready to drop its senior hours. The special operating schedule began just over two years ago in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Members over 60 years old, first responders, and healthcare workers were given the chance to shop without the general public. Costco officials say the schedule returns to normal on April 18th. Many national grocery stores had similar special hours for those considered especially vulnerable to the virus. Wisconsin authorities will kill close to 3 million commercially raised chickens to prevent the spread of a bird flu. The highly lethal avian disease was first detected in U.S. poultry in February. Birds on a farm in Wisconsin tested positive for the flu. The flock has some 2.75 million egg-laying chickens. This action will bring the total number of chickens and turkeys killed because of the bird flu to 6.7 million. It's the biggest outbreak in the U.S. since 2015. The CDC has said that no human cases have been detected and that the bird flu is not an immediate public health concern. Efforts were underway Monday to refloat a container vessel that ran aground in the Maryland portion of the Chesapeake Bay. That's according to the U.S. Coast Guard. It's near the city of Pasadena, Maryland, about 17 miles south of Baltimore, and 38 miles northeast of Washington, D.C. The Coast Guard says there were no reports of injuries, pollution, or damage to the 1,000-foot ship, which grounded Sunday evening. The ship also isn't obstructing traffic in a nearby navigational channel, but nearby ships are reducing their speed and taking other precautions. The Baltimore Sun reports that the ship had left the port of Baltimore on Sunday and was headed for Norfolk, Virginia. The vessel is called the Ever Forward, and is part of a fleet of cargo ships owned by Taiwan-based Evergreen Marine Corporation. The newspaper reported that Evergreen Marine also owns the Evergiven, which became stuck in the Suez Canal in 2021 and caused problems for global shipping. Mexican and U.S. officials discussed the need to address the unprecedented flow of migrants. They're seeking solutions to handle the crisis and solve other cross-border issues. Mexico agreed with the U.S. delegation to work on border infrastructure. Mexico's foreign ministry called one border crossing project a strategic priority. The country says they detained more than 2,100 migrants during the weekend. The migrants were heading for the U.S. from places like Mexico, Cuba, Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador. Earlier, the Mexican president said on Twitter that his government discussed labor and migration issues with the U.S., Officials said they are also seeing some Russians and Ukrainians passing from Mexico into the United States. Officials are trying to support them by handing out information in Russian and Ukrainian. The head of Homeland Security is in Mexico for meetings before he heads to Costa Rica. Coming up, California's Bay Area celebrates Pi Day, both the mathematical pie and the one you eat. A local baker helps people make the most of it. Stay tuned to find out more.
They say the eyes are the window to the soul, and apparently the key to your iPhone. Now you can unlock your iPhone and keep your mask on. It's part of the latest update Apple rolled out. After the update, you'll just have to go through the process of scanning your face with your mask on. The update also features new emojis and an additional voice option for Siri. March 14th is Pi Day. For math lovers, it's a chance to celebrate Pi, the circular number that goes on forever. And for everyone else, it's an annual excuse to eat pies guilt-free. NTD's Adelina Asseltane reports. Today is Albert Einstein's 143rd birthday. But it's not about Albert, it's about pies, all kinds of pies. Let's see some favorites for today. For most people, if they hear that pie is transcendental, they probably won't think of numerical characteristics, but flavor instead. One Bay Area baker knows about both of those qualities. Today is pie day. Pie day is 3.14. It doesn't take a mathematical equation to deduce what flavor of pie one likes best. To what you like. Do you like sweet or savory? Do you like tart or not tart? Sue said she uses organic flour and local in-season fruit for their pies. But if you like something more tart, then try the triple berry or brown sugar pineapple, which is surprisingly good. Sue moved to California after having a successful pie business in New York City. She is the supplier for many bakeries, including a local hotspot, Chromatic Cafe, that just got a new flavor. The new flavor is coffee cheesecake. We've put, we've mixed cold brew syrup into the cheesecake and then we've sandwiched that cheesecake between two layers of espresso powder. Yeah, I have mandarin marzipan, I have pineapple, triple berry, uh, apple, and I think I have chocolate pecan too, actually. I have a chocolate cheesecake uh, with espresso, actually. Um, I like pie. <laughs> Apple pie is the best one for me and blueberry pie. What day is today? Pie day, but I didn't know that. And, yeah. Did you know? No, <laughs> not at all. Uh, my favorite pie, I think, is apple pie. Happy pie day! Mm. It's good, right? Even if it's a Monday, everyone is coming out to get a piece of pie. Adelina Soltane, NTD News, California. Mm. St. Patrick's Day is coming up, and Philadelphia celebrated early with a festive parade over the weekend. NTD's Chenny Wu has more. The St. Patrick's Day Parade returned to Philadelphia on Sunday after a two-year hiatus, marking its 250th anniversary. The annual parade had been canceled in 2020 and 2021 due to the pandemic. Parade Grand Marshal Michael Bradley told us the theme of this year's parade is faith, family, friendship and heritage. My family came from Ireland, so we're thrilled that they're here. They're on the trolley right here, so everyone is uh, Irish on St. Patrick's Day. According to parade organizers, the first documented St. Patrick's Day celebration parade in Philadelphia was held in 1771, five years before the Declaration of Independence was signed. NTD asked parade-goers what St. Patrick's Day means to them. Here's what they said. Number one is very holy, and he's the patron saint of Ireland, and uh, here it's celebrated so big. We're actually really shocked at how big it's celebrated. It is celebrated probably more here than it is in Ireland. <laughs> it means so much to so many people, especially over here, people's Irish heritage. You can see in America what it means to people to, to be Irish, and it's great. it's great to be here. We love the Irish people. We've been to Ireland a few times, and we love it. And my wife is half Irish, so we come to celebrate. And just to have fun. St. Patrick's Day commemorates the death date of St. Patrick, patron saint of Ireland and one of Christianity's most widely known figures. It's celebrated on March 17th in Ireland and by the Irish diaspora worldwide. Chenny Wu, NTD News. Amphibious Japanese troops and U.S. Marines today practiced airborne landing assaults together for the first time. This is in a sign of deepening military cooperation between Japan and the United States. 
The drills in the foothills of Mount Fuji involved 400 troops from Japan's Amphibious Rapid Deployment Brigade and 600 U.S. Marines. It is part of a three-week exercise meant to hone joint maneuvers between the U.S. and Japan. Japan is revising a decade-old national security strategy as it feels more threatened by China's growing military assertiveness. That upgrade to defense policy guidelines is expected to call for the country to take a more active role alongside Washington in regional security. The joint drills also come as Russia's invasion of Ukraine brings fresh security concerns in East Asia, where China is putting pressure on Taiwan following its crackdown on Hong Kong. In Shanghai, healthy people have been put under quarantine together with confirmed cases. And a nightmare for about 50,000 people at an expo in China's Guangzhou over just a single positive test. Here's NTD's Tiffany Meyer with China in Focus with more of the details. Shanghai has been partially shut down since Saturday due to the worsening situation of the pandemic. Schools are closed. Some neighborhoods are under lockdown, with residents told to stay home. All citizens are told not to leave Shanghai unless absolutely necessary. And those who need to leave or return to the city must hold a negative virus test report from within 48 hours. In some companies, when one employee tests positive, all other staff members are asked to quarantine, as they are considered close contacts and could potentially carry the virus too. A video clip from Shanghai has been circulating online recently. It shows employees protesting the draconian measures. They said they were forced to quarantine with people who have tested positive. Among them were children and pregnant women. The man questioned so-called precision prevention measures touted by the government. At the end of the video, the employees shout that they want to be let out. A beauty expo in China turned into a nightmare due to one allegedly positive CCP virus case. That's according to videos posted on social media. About 50,000 people were reportedly stuck at the expo venue on Friday, which is located in the southern city of Guangzhou. The entire event was immediately put under lockdown after a positive case was unexpectedly identified. The organizers put up an emergency notice saying no exit, no entry, and told people to take precautions and social distance. But based on video clips from the event, it appears it was nearly impossible to do so because of the packed crowds. Videos show people started screaming and running toward the exits when they realized what was going on. The crowd was heard chanting, release us, release us. The next day, Guangzhou authorities announced that about 50,000 at the expo had been tested for the virus and that all of those results came back negative. Apple's biggest parts supplier, Foxconn, is one of many businesses suspending operations in the Chinese city of Shenzhen. Authorities have begun enforcing strict lockdown measures as the country records more virus cases so far this year than in all of 2021. Entity's Don Ma has the story. Authorities announced Sunday that all non-essential businesses in the city will suspend operations or implement work-from-home measures starting today through Sunday. So China is 19 to 20, you know, 19 to 20 percent of all manufacturing in the world takes place there. And of that 19 to 20 percent of global manufacturing output, about 10 percent of that is coming out of the Shenzhen region itself. In Shenzhen, officials ordered the city's more than 17 million people to stay at home. 
The city is a major electronics manufacturing hub. Ross Kennedy, founder of a strategic supply chain analysis firm, says if the lockdown continues, it could affect the global supply chain. Automakers Toyota and Volkswagen are also suspending some operations. Supply chains aren't a light switch, right? You can't you can shut them off very easily. You can stop sending people to the factories. You can uh, idle production lines. But what you can't do is turn it back on like a light switch, right? So it's very... He says the longer people are barred from going to work, the harder it is will be for businesses to resume normal operations. The delay or the inability of people to get to work or to function is not just a, you know, for every one day delay, uh, there's a day to catch back up. You're talking about for every one day delay, you're talking about two, three, four, five days of extra work to catch up. Uh, so it's an exponential thing. Uh, it's Kennedy says that if the lockdowns continue for multiple weeks, consumers could feel impacts from the resulting supply chain disruptions. A significant amount of consumer electronic goods sold by Best Buy, Walmart, Target and Amazon come from China. Don Ma, NTD News. A recent report says counterfeit and copyright infringed goods smuggled into the European Union came primarily from China and Hong Kong. The report says fake goods are an ongoing threat to consumer health and safety. Counterfeit and pirated goods worth $130 billion were imported into the European Union in 2019. It comprises nearly 6% of all EU imports that year. The report called this data particularly concerning amid economic efforts to recover from the CCP virus pandemic. It says the pandemic actually increased the spread of fake goods and that criminal networks have adapted their business to suit the situation. China and Russia were both active in smuggling fake cigarettes into the EU. Belgian consumer customs officials confiscated a record 126 million counterfeit cigarettes in January 2020. Another top category for fake goods are vehicles and spare car parts from China and Hong Kong. Just ahead, Russia's small businesses are struggling following the country's ban on Instagram and Facebook. Up to 80 million users will take the blow. An Australian biotech company plans a massive airdrop of seed pods. It's part of an effort to plant 100 million trees in the next two years. All that and more here on NTD News. An employee of Russian state television made an anti-war protest during a live news broadcast. In a separate video, she apologized for working at the channel. Behind the studio host, the protester held up the sign that read, in English and Russian, there is no war, stop the war, and don't believe the propaganda, they are lying to you here. During the broadcast, she can be heard chanting, stop the war. Seconds later, the scene switches and she is removed from the screen. In a pre-recorded video posted online, the woman said she was ashamed of spreading Kremlin propaganda for years. She said her father is Ukrainian and her mother is Russian. Russian state television is the main source of news for millions of Russians. OVD Info, the country's independent protest monitoring group, claims the woman is an example of the channel. Human rights groups say she has been arrested and taken to a Moscow police station. Under a Russian law that prohibits defamation of the armed forces, the protester could face charges up to 15 years in prison. Small businesses in Russia are struggling under pressure. This comes after Moscow announced a ban on Instagram and Facebook, blocking access for up to 80 million users. Russia has blocked Meta Platform's flagship social media networks, including Instagram and Facebook. Small businesses that rely on the two platforms now face challenges attracting customers. Stas Ferbers is a digital agency owner. He says the new restriction means a greater workload is coming. We now have to take a lot of action to maintain the same level of our work and the moral condition of our clients and team, which is really important. Up to 80 million users are likely to take a hit. 
Okay, they blocked Facebook. We didn't have commercial activities in it in our projects. Now they've blocked Instagram. But it's 11 hours since blocking, and we see on our commercial accounts the same level of user activity, maybe a little lower. The Anakin Nikita store has been losing Russian viewers on Instagram. We waited for a downturn, and it came. But in our case, it's not something radical right now. However, yes, we lost our European and U.S. markets. But I hope that it's temporary and we'll find a solution. Reuters reported that Moscow's Metaban came after the tech giant allowed Ukrainian users to post content opposing Russia's attack, including calls for violence against heads of state. On Monday, a Norwegian cruise ship was stranded as it left the Tainto Bay port in the Dominican Republic. Dominican Navy Vice Admiral Ramon Hernandez said that the crew and passengers on the Norwegian escape are safe. He said, quote, This unfortunate event was caused by great winds during this afternoon, close to 30 knot winds. Dominican authorities are using the tugboats and are hoping the rising tides on Tuesday will help them move the ship. Local media reported there are over 1,600 crew members and 3,200 passengers on board. The ship belongs to Norwegian Cruise Line. An Australian biotech company is planning a massive airdrop of seed pods. It's part of a mission to plant 100 million trees in the next two years in an effort to address climate issues. Through photosynthesis, trees are a natural way of storing carbon. But to cut emissions, the main obstacle is how to plant enough of them. So the scale of the problem that confronts us now is really pretty dramatic, pretty impressive. And it's going to take all the ingenuity of our species to deal with this problem. And the scale of the problem is simply getting worse because we're not deeply cutting emissions. Greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide trap heat in Earth's atmosphere, increasing the planet's temperature. Carbon dioxide is one of the main greenhouse gases responsible for growing climate issues. So step one in solving the problem is really simple. You've got to deeply cut emissions really quickly. And the reason it's got to be done quickly is because we haven't done it over the last 30 years. The world produces more than 30 billion tons of CO2 each year, mostly through the burning of fossil fuels. And deforestation has reduced our natural ability to trap carbon. Growing one tree takes carbon out of the atmosphere, but it doesn't have an impact really on climate. The fundamental problem of reforestation as a solution to CO2 in the current environment is you've got to grow immense areas of forest every year indefinitely. Biotech company Airseed is already experimenting with ways to hasten the process of tree planting. That includes new drones and a new type of organic pod which will allow the company to plant trees more quickly. The advantage of using drones is we're able to, one, give us the scale of planting, so create a hyperproductive planting solution, comparable of a single person planting 800 trees per day uh, compared to a drone planting 40,000 seed pods per day. There's a big scale of, of uh, difference there. But secondly, um, drones can access locations that people can't. Airseed has already been active in Australia's New South Wales, Victoria and Queensland, plus South Africa. Next year, its goal is to expand operations in Southeast Asia, North America, Africa, and Europe. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. It's been nearly 140 years since work began on Sagrada Familia in Barcelona, but plans to finish the UNESCO World Heritage Site by 2026 have proved controversial. Part of the construction may involve evicting up to 15,000 residents who live in the area. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. At 564 feet tall, Sagrada Familia will become the world's tallest church, but the structure now faces what could be its last and biggest conflict. It will be good both for the Sagrada Familia and for the city to finish the temple, but it doesn't depend just on us. It also depends on the town hall so we can have the proper permit to keep building, so we can have dignified main access. The glory facade and planned staircase would serve as the main entrance to the building. But building them could mean demolishing several buildings nearby and could see thousands evicted and forced to move out. So our work first is to explain the project, 
and also to be at the disposal of the local council and the neighbors to find a solution through dialogue, so we can find a solution that will allow us to finish Gaudi's project following his ideas. Salvador Barroso is the president of the local group, people affected by the construction of the Sagrada Familia. He says two entire blocks, housing over 3,000 homes, could be torn down, and between 10,000 and 15,000 people risk eviction. Our proposal both for the City Hall and the Board of Construction is that we are very comfortable in our homes, which we have paid for and are totally legal. And also, the local council can't act as mediator. They are the authority, they must decide, they have the power. The power isn't in the hands of us, the neighbors, or the Board of Construction. We are both private parties involved. Barossa and his associates complain that the latest additions to the Basilica are interpretations rather than architect Antony Gaudi's original ideas. But chief architect Fowley says construction work is based on the architect's plaster models, photos, and publications of his original drawings. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.